We are continuing our series in Luke. However, we're going to start out in 1 Samuel. So you have your Bibles. Uh, This is really going to be our introduction. It it really is a great introduction into our text in Luke today by reading a historical narrative that happened to a poor woman named Hannah. And um, we're just going to jump right into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm just going to kind of lead it up. Uh, there's a guy that has two wives. Boy, that's a, that's a bad decision right there, right? One wife was able to bear children. One wife was not. And the one that could bear children needled the other one. And the one that is barren, her name is Hannah. Now it says in chapter 1 of verse 3, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, the wife that is barren, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. That was her motivation, just to be a thorn in this poor woman's side that she can't have a children, and she was having all these other kids. And it says, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. The situation is a one-time event. It's a day-to-day grind. You can imagine two wives under the same household just competing with one another. I mean, it's just going to be bad. And it says this, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, especially knowing that the Lord had closed her womb. He, she was provoking her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you, uh, why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? This is called a clueless husband, okay? Right here in text, very clear. He is clueless. He has to know this other wife is just irritating and and just grievously doing it to this other woman with all these snide remarks. Verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed. And here's where we're focusing in on. And she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow... And said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life and no razor shall touch his head. She's desperate to the point that she's trying to bargain with God and making a vow. Now, I do not suggest that that's the way we pray. God, it kind of goes back to trying to put yourself at at a negotiating table. But she was so distraught, she was so brokenhearted that she makes this vow. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, that is the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. 
I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Underline that if you want to. She's pouring out her soul before the Lord, okay? Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Underline great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then note this. The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer, what does your text say? Downcast, Downcast sad. And then, uh, as you know, she's going to end up having Samuel, and it's going to change the course of Israel, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on in that text. But I, I kind of highlighted that the, she's praying, she's weeping, she's having troubles. And it's a constant trouble. She has a bad situation. And now the context of today's text in Luke 22, and so go ahead and turn to Luke 18. But to set up the context, we actually have to go back to the previous chapter and look at verse 22. I'm getting there myself. And if you look at verse 22, Jesus was talking about the coming of the kingdom. Remember, it's spiritual, but one day it's going to be physical. And he said in verse 22, The days are coming when you will desire to see just one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. In other words, in our society today, because this is the generation he's talking about, we will want to see Jesus. We will want to see righteousness reign in our society. Say amen to that. You will want to see justice be equal for all and not two or three or four layers of, of justice. We will be longing to, to, to go to heaven. You know, in Hebrews, when it says that Lot's heart was just beside itself when he lived in Sodom, that's how I think we feel today. We see what's going on. We know the difference between right and wrong, and it bothers us, and we want to see the days, just one day of the Son of Man. And then we're going to go to our text. So let's look. And we're just going to read the very first verse. Luke 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Your version may say a slightly different, but bottom line is uh, not, to, not to faint, lose heart, lose courage. But we ought to always pray. And the connection is, if, if you pray, you're not going to lose heart. Here's the key. You're not going to give up. And that's the title of our, sex, our, our text. Don't give up. You will be able to survive the hard days, longing for righteousness, longing for Jesus, if you pray. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says this, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is giving, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of the increase of his government of peace there will be no end we just want a righteous government say amen to that we just want a right and so in, intuitively we're longing for the kingdom to come so that we can see righteousness and justice in our society, in our culture. 
But Jesus knows hard days are going to find you. And if you don't keep connected through prayer, you're going to start to give up. You're going to start to lose heart. When you get set, if you're not abiding in Jesus, you start to come up with uh, much more feelings of apathy, right? You just, you, uh, I want to always be polite or, or respectful of the words I use. So uh, you, you just, oh, I'll choose not to use that word. I'll just do it that way. But I believe Hannah felt that way. I believe that we feel that way sometimes. You feel that way sometimes. And that is you just want to give up. You just want, you're just losing heart. The world overwhelms you and you just want to give up because you've lost heart. You've lost courage. You've lost perspective. You've lost faith. You're tired. You, you, you say, uncle, right? Just stop the pain. And you just add a gas and you want to throw in the towel. You want to scream, just screw it, right? Yeah, I just, just stop. You want to cry. But you know, Jesus knows this. He totally understands this. And that's why he says in verse one, you always ought to pray and not lose heart. So the very first fill in the blank is this, pray or you will lose heart. If you're not talking to the Lord, you're going to start losing heart because the things of this world will overwhelm you. That's just, that's just a fact. That's a truism. And notice what happened to Hannah. She prayed, right? She gained heart. It says she got up, she ate, and then she went and, and uh, her face was no longer sad. And we didn't go to the next paragraph, but it says she went to the temple and worshiped. Now, here's a woman that an hour before, she's crying. She's weeping bitterly. They think she's drunk, that she is so emotionally wrought. And she prays to the Lord, and suddenly he says, May the Lord hear your petition. Doesn't mean he was going to grant it, but he says, He heard your petition. May the Lord grant it. But it doesn't mean, there's no guarantee. But it says, she ate, she got up, her face was no longer sad, and then the next part of the text says she went and worshipped. Whether God was going to answer her prayer, she gained heart because of this. She was heard. Does that make sense? Sometimes we need to vent to God, say amen to that. And we have to learn the difference between pouring out our heart to the Lord and complaining, right? You don't want to complain, especially because God will take that complaint as against him. But you can tell him about the situation you're in. You can tell him about the justice you want. You can tell him how unfair things are at the school. You can tell him about how unfair things are at work or in your marriage or wherever it is. He can listen, but you have to not cross the line into complaining. He wants you to plead your case, right? But not to complain. It's just like lawyers plead cases, they don't whine cases, right? Well, some, right? Plead your case to God, but don't whine your case to God because you're wanting to talk about the truth. You're wanting to talk about the facts. And being heard and understood is powerful. 
again, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's a work environment or a child-parent relationship, being heard can give you the strength to plow ahead, even if nothing changes. But just somehow knowing that God knows, and you can almost see him put his arm around you and tell you, I'm here. I'm listening. And just the fact of him listening and not shutting you out, because Jesus is going to tell, tell a parable in a moment that we're going to get into about a person who has not the ability to even catch the ear of the judge. But prayer allows you to really be heard. And in Hannah's case, her petition was granted, right? But paradoxically, the more it, it moves us more to his perspective and, it, and uh, more it can change us. Even though we may not get what was we asked for, just the fact that we're asking and talking to him about it is going to move us. And I'll show you in an illustration a little later how that, how that actually works. Are you in trouble? You pray. Are facing a hardship? Pray. Not Things not going well at work? Pray. Even when God says no, it still moves us towards him and his will. And we understand the scenario just a little bit better. God becomes your fatherly sounding board. That's one thing. I miss my father, my, my dad. You, you miss people that have gone on before, right? And you don't have a chance to talk to them anymore. You don't have them as a sounding board. You have a sounding board, board every day with, with your heavenly father that can help clarify your thinking, can help boil it down to what is really the issue is. And maybe you need his perspective because maybe you've got the wrong perspective. Maybe he's allowing this thing to happen in your life because there's a greater good that's going to happen and come out of it. Otherwise, Romans 8, 28 doesn't make sense. That God causes all things to work together. But he does. And sometimes he says no to your request because there's a greater good happening. There's a greater maturity. There's a greater inheritance. There's a greater part of a better resurrection. We don't know, but sometimes he will say no. Sometimes he will say yes. And a lot of times he says wait because he wants to do the right thing by you according to his will. So real prayer is not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Real prayer is heartfelt like Hannah's, right? But it's intelligent. You're really talking to God about the situation. But also, that means he has to talk to you about your attitude. That means he has to talk to you about your shortcomings. And it means that with clarity and with honesty, real prayer reveals not only our own heart, but it reveals the heart of God. Prayer has to be real. Now let's go to the story, because Jesus tells this incredible story about this widow. Beginning at verse 2, it says this, He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said to her, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, according to Mark Moore and some other theologians out there, these judges were more like circuit judges of the Old West. You know, they didn't stay in one town, they traveled. And um, they're kind of like the old marshal, you know, the old circuit judges. But we also know that Rome appointed these guys. So they're not like the local elders that sit in the city gate. No, these are judges that were appointed by Rome to keep the, the, the rabble at bay, you know, to, to, to satisfy any small demands, to make judgments. And so they were part of the peacekeeping forces of the Romans. But the thing is, they were often corrupt. I mean, they took bribes. That meant that if you had a case before this particular judge, you could bribe your way to get your what you wanted. And oftentimes, they, here it is, it's just like today, they mix politics with their judgments. They had political motives for a way they decided a case. Several tiers of justice. So the widow has some tough circumstances. She was in a tough situation. Number one, women had no standing in court. You could not go to court as a woman. You had no standing. You have no legal standing. So therefore, she has a problem. She needs to find a husband. Oh, wait, her husband's dead. Apparently, she has no son, no son-in-laws, no brother. She is by herself. She's in a very, very tough situation. She is truly on her own. And we can assume that she's poor only because she doesn't even try to offer him a bribe. She doesn't have any money to offer a bribe. But more importantly, she has no money to buy a lawyer that's a male that could represent her in court. So we kind of inflect that into the text, but you can kind of see this widow. But one thing she has, can you see it? She has persistence. She keeps bothering me. She's going to wear me out. Go back to the text when it says this. She will not beat me down by her continual coming. In the original language, it means to be given a black eye. It, it, it literally, literally means to strike someone under the eye. Figuratively, we'd say she, she's given him a black eye. I mean, her constant pleading is bringing embarrassment upon him. And even though he is an unjust and corrupt judge, he's going to give in to this woman, not out of love for her, but out of love for himself. I realize that. It's, she has no feelings towards this woman at all. He has feelings for himself, and he's tired of this woman. The point of the parable is this. And I have some things, that some hash marks. It's not underlined, but... Uh, the point of the parable is this, and you can go to uh, number two, and then let's just go on to the, to the, they're not filling the blanks, but they are. First of all, the point of the parable is this, God is not an unrighteous judge, okay? He's going to give you justice. 
because he is justice, he is righteous. And I love that in the text, when he says, Jesus says, here what he, the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Will he delay long? He will delay sometimes, that's part of the wait. But he also says he is going to answer speedily. He also loves you because you're not a stranger. This woman was a stranger to this, this judge. You're God's child. And so you have access to God. She didn't even have access. She had to shout. She didn't have standing in court. She has to yell at him as he's in his little tent surrounded by his little underlings. She's shouting at him. Doesn't even have access. And yet you have access. And then, of course, the, the point of the whole parable is this. How much more will God hear your case, your situation, your trouble, and your predicament and not act? Because he loves you. So here's the contrast. The righteous judge won't answer her at first because he could care less about her. But our righteous father may not answer at first. But Jesus' point is don't give up. Don't give up, no matter what your situation is. God is going to answer your prayer. Yes, no, or wait. And God's delays are not the delays of inactivity, but sometimes they're the delays of preparation. Sometimes he's working upstream in your life because he wants the best thing for your life. He'll not answer yes to a prayer if it's going to mean it's not in your best interest. It's like a five-year-old. Let's Instead of a four-year-old, let's... I don't know what age you were when you started to play with matches. I'm sure none of you girls never played with matches. But us guys, we played with matches, right? Yes, we did. And if a five-year-old comes to you and says, can I have a book of matches? Can I, have a, can I, can I borrow a lighter? What is a parent going to say? No! No, what happens if they're 21? It's the 4th of July. Hey, Dad, can I borrow a book of matches? What are you going to say? Yes. You're going to lend them the lighter. God's going to say yes sometimes. God's going to say no. Sometimes God's going to say wait. But it's always going to be a prayer answered in your best interest according to his will. That's important. His will is what determines what the best answer is. Because he knows you. And he knows what you're supposed to become. And he knows how to bring the best out of you. But by constantly talking to God, even when he says no or wait, will bring us closer to him, to his will, and he will transform us through this situation so we don't give up. It's, it is truly a matter of, of trust and faith. The last days before Jesus comes back are going to be rough and tough, right? Are we going to give in to apathy? No. Are we going to turn inward to self-pity? No. Are we going to turn to coping devices that actually appeal to our flesh and take us further away from the throne of grace? No. It, back to verse 8, where it says, God will give you justice and do what is righteous. Nevertheless, when Jesus returns, will he find faith on earth? In other words, don't give up, trust. So the, it was a parable of, of contrast, and Jesus, Jesus is going to launch into another parable of contrast. Let's go on in our text. 
where it says in the beginning at verse 9, says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So it's, again, this contrast between a self-righteous person and a humble, repentant uh, sinner. Notice in your text, five times, the Pharisee says, I. I did this. I did that. I did this. Look at me. Aren't I awesome? Now, the text, uh, I mean, the Old Testament, the old law, the covenant, required that a Hebrew fast one time a year. You have to fast once a year. Not really outrageous, right? Pharisees were so religious, they fasted twice a week. And it's funny, they chose to fast on the days that the market was open. So everybody could see them. They chose to fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays when the Sanhedrin met. So everybody would know that they were fasting because they'd tell people, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm fasting. Again, a martyrdom to their own ego, right? And Jesus just calls them out on it. But look at, look at verse 11 again, just quickly. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. Do, does your Bible have a little footnote there? Okay, look down at, at, at the footnote, because I think it's important. It says this, or he prayed to himself. Standing, he was praying, not to God, but the manuscript says he was praying to himself. I think that's more accurate according to the context. Captures what's really going on in the heart of the Pharisee. So here's the third fill in the blank. To whom are you praying to? To whom are you praying to? Verse 9, are you trusting in yourself? Because that's what Jesus said at the beginning of the parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. If you trust in yourselves, you're going to pray to yourself. Trust in God, you're going to pray to God. Uh, I need to, to now illustrate this point, and I've asked Hannah to come up and represent uh, God. <laughs> Specifically, the will of God. So for those listening on a podcast, I am opening this huge umbrella, and I need you to stand right there and just hold it and face. Okay. This is the will of God, and here's you or a tax collector, or a Pharisee. Here's your little will, right? This is your will, that's your will. This is what happens when you pray. 
and you pray in truth. You pray in character of God and the character of you. When you pray about destiny, wants, needs, purpose, identity, it has to be in truth. And so a person that is praying about their situation will always be trying to come under the will of God. They're going to be trying to come this way. They don't know that they're moving towards God, but when you see the will of God, when you see the truth and you pray in truth, you realize maybe work situation has something to do with your attitude as well. And, and, and so God starts to correct you and transform you because the closer you come under to the will of God and get closer, the more we're being transformed. Do you see that? So we have a situation where we're over here, we're praying about it, we don't understand it, there's not clarity in our life, we don't understand the situation that we are, we're weeping before the Lord like Hannah, we're vexed by our co-workers, we're vexed by our situation, our finances, our health situation, whatever trial or tribulation that you find yourself in, you're sitting here praying, but you're not looking at your will. You shouldn't be looking at your will. You should be looking at the will of God. And when you're looking at the will of God, you naturally start moving your will to be under His will. Are you following this? Because this is really important, because the Pharisee, was looking up at his will. Do you understand that? He was looking only at his will, but the tax collector, he looked and said, I am a sinner based on the truth. I am needing to repent based on the truth. I know that God wants me to repent. And so that day, he moved over here, right? He was being repentant, which means to change, which means to be transformed. He was being transformed because as he prayed, truth was being revealed to his heart. He was responding in faith, and he was actually moving over here and over here. The Pharisee, he didn't even really pray. He prayed to himself. He looked at his will. Look what I do. Look what I do. Look what I do. Five times, look what I do. And Jesus said, this man was going to go down. But the man who was a tax collector, by coming under the will of God, actually exalted himself. Isn't that cool? And so prayer is, you don't give up. You keep trying. And even when we don't understand, we don't look at all of our wants, all of our needs. We can pray about them. We pray about this situation. But it's always praying in truth. I hope, I hope that phrase sticks and I hope I'm communicating it well. We pray with his purpose in mind, his identity that we have in Christ. We understand our wants and needs based on the truth, not on what we want. Thank you, Hannah. You did a great job. <laughs> If we give up moving, we're not going to grow, we're not going to be transformed, we're not going to mature, we're not going to understand, unless we're praying in truth. Tax collector again moved by the truth that he was a sinner, and he went home justified according to Jesus. And the movement to get under the will of God takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. And that's why I, I know the illustration is somewhat over, but, but 
It's, it's like every day you just, as we pray, we're not, if we're not connected and we're not searching that truth out, we're not talking to the truth and he's coming back to us with truth, then, then we're not going to really move. But if we are, we just kind of inch over here and inch over here. And slowly but surely, as we mature in Christ, suddenly we find ourselves under the will of God. And, and Jesus says, my commandments are not burdensome are they? Over here, they may seem burdensome, but that's because we still are dealing with our flesh and we're dealing with our self-centeredness, like the self-righteous religious person that's in our text. But when we look to the will of God, when we look to the character of God, when we look to the love of God, it causes us to just come under that will of his. And it gives us the power and strength. And suddenly we're aligned with God's will. And you know when that happens, that's a woohoo moment. Because you're at peace. You're in the peace. And, and, and you have the strength to face whatever is thrown at your way. Because you know that you're smack dab in the middle of God's will. And that's just, that's just incredible. You know, 1 Thessalonians says to, to pray without ceasing. Has that ever bothered you, that, that phrase? Okay, we have some people said yes, no. It just means that we're under here, but we're always looking over there. We're always just talking to the Lord about who he is and his character and his maturity and how we suddenly find ourselves moving over here. And it takes time. It takes time. Self-righteous religious person prays to himself. Here are three things I wrote down. Eyes aren't on God or the will of God. Does not pray in truth. And there's no movement towards God or towards the will of God. That's what a self-righteous religious person Again, eyes aren't on God or the will of God. They're not, they're not praying in truth and they're not moving towards God or the will of God. And everyone who exalts himself, especially over the will of God, the truth of God, will be humbled and they'll be brought low. But the one who humbles himself, especially moving towards the will of God and the truth of God, will be exalted and will find favor and find himself really lined up with the will of God. So let me tie all this up. Number one, we long for the days of Jesus. We long for the days of the Son of Man to come and let righteousness fall down. And we be governed under pure righteousness and justice and holiness. And while we wait, we pray so we don't lose heart. While we wait, we pray so we don't lose heart. But we pray to God, not to ourselves, trusting in him that he is a good, righteous judge that will act. And praying to God towards his will, it moves us, it changes us, it transforms us, it empowers us, and we feel that we've been heard and know that he's going to take care of business one day. Prayer changes us if we're praying in truth, which means we have to do a little soul searching sometimes when we pray. What are you praying about and why are you praying it? And, and is it really intelligent prayer 
or is it just out of, I don't know what else to say because I'm so focused on my will that I don't even know the will of God. How can you pray if you don't know the will of God and all you're doing is praying for your will? That's like the Pharisee. That's like the self-righteous person. Instead of looking to the Creator God, your Heavenly Father, and asking Him. Long time ago, we used to sing more hymns. And uh, I don't know how you came to Christ, but I came to Christ at a church camp. I might have shared that before. I don't know or remember exactly what song was sung, but I have a favorite song that I think of because it reminds me of getting out of my umbrella and looking, or my will, and looking towards the will of God. And that is, I, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that song? Uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. And sometimes when we're in our little umbrella, we have to remind ourselves not to look up at our will, but to look at the Father's will, because I've decided to follow Jesus. Though no come with me, yet I will still what? Follow. And, and the cross before me, the world behind me. Why? Because I've decided to follow Jesus. And so it's, it's not about where you're at in your journey. It's in your journey, are you looking to the will of God? Are, are you looking for, are you praying in truth? And that means, like the, the tax collector, he had to come to grips what he was before he could pray, right? He's, he beat his breast. The Pharisee went, and I'm sure his hands were lifted up. He's in the temple, and, and he is making a show of it. And it says in the parable that the tax collector wouldn't even glance his eyes towards heaven and out of shame for what he was because he understood the truth of who God is. And that's what changes us. When we are praying in truth, we understand who God is and it moves us to be under him. And it says that he beat his breast and he looked down and he said, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. That's following Jesus. The world needs true Jesus followers today. Amen? Because the imitation is junk. And the world looks at, at the imitation Christians out there and they say, you're no better than me. You have no more peace than me. You have no more joy than me. You don't even know where you're going because they play a game because they have not taken to heart the song that they sang or they, the decision they made that I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to get out from my will and thy will be done. And Jesus said, the days are coming where you will lose heart unless you're praying. So folks, we need to be praying more. Amen? And it's supposed to be praying without ceasing, which means you're constantly talking to the Lord. That's, it's as simple as that. You're just talking to him all the time about who he is and his character and his will. And when things are, are overwhelming you, be on your knees. Be in prayer. And then the, the most incredible thing happens, exactly what happened to Hannah. 
you get to express yourself. You get to vent in a non-complaining way without whining. You get to share with your Heavenly Father. And suddenly, you're empowered to get up, eat, wipe the sadness off your face, and know it's going to be okay. Can you say that with me? It's going to be okay. Because God is on the throne and he is a righteous God. And Jesus said he will act speedily. And our dark days will end. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for simple illustrations. Thank you that you have called us to pray without ceasing. Not in a legalistic way but in a way where we're in constant communion and abiding with you, that as we submit and follow you, because we have decided to follow you with all of our heart, that you mysteriously, miraculously change us from the inside out. That you're changing our desires, you're changing our wants, you're changing our needs, you're changing our perspective of who you are and who we are and who the people are around us are. And that you're growing your love in us. And we ask that it would increase. That our love would never grow cold. That it would increase. That as days get dark, we would get brighter. As days get cold, we would become hotter. Father, that we would keep our eyes off of our own agenda, our little kingdom, our own will, and look outside of our umbrella to you and align ourselves to you. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you that you have told us how to succeed because you love us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.